we're very glad that all of you are here today. Jeff Kinney is going to be our speaker this morning. Jeff and Ida work and worship with the Warrensburg, Missouri Church of Christ, where Jeff has been for several years. Let me point out that for those of you that have not had the opportunity to donate as yet toward this work, there is a basket in the foyer right under the big banner uh, that was uh, created for the South African mission work. Please feel free to put your money there, to give a check to Van directly or to uh, Sherry or me. Make sure that you indicate on the check, if you donate by check somewhere, that there's a designation there for the uh, South African mission or for Jeff or for uh, Patrick Kinney. So we're looking forward to hearing Jeff's message. I should point out that Jeff is staying with us and will be returning uh, by way of Nashville, Tennessee tomorrow evening. So he'll be here the rest of today, all day tomorrow until uh, uh, late tomorrow afternoon. Once again, uh, we're looking forward to Jeff's message. Thank you. Um, I have fond memories of being in this congregation several years back, and uh, I know that on behalf of my brother, uh, he would be absolutely incensed with me if I didn't express to you our deepest appreciation for this congregation's support. Uh, we know that you have supported us for several years now. There's individuals in this congregation who have supported us, and we are especially thankful for the prayers that you offer up on our behalf, and we really, really appreciate that. So thank you very, very much for your support. Appreciate the elders and their vision to be involved in such an incredible mission work. (laughs) I say that with my tongue in cheek, because if you had a missionary stand before you and didn't, he didn't think that it was the best work on the earth, he's not worth supporting. (laughs) So anyway, I do thank you. And I think God has doing and continues to do some incredible things among us. Uh, but let me, by way of introduction, just give you a brief synopsis of, of who we are and what we're about. Uh, my brother has been involved in the South African work now for some uh, 27, 28 years. Uh, he started off doing follow-up for World Bible School, and uh, the whole development of the mission was God-led, and God led him into an area where we are right now. We still use uh, not exclusively, but we still have a huge connection with the World Bible School material, and we use that uh, pretty dominantly in a lot of our follow-up work and especially our leadership development. But he's been involved in this work that we are now in Cebu King for probably about uh, 15, 16 years now. I joined him about six, seven years ago as a support for him stateside. Uh, as Ray said, I preach for a congregation in Warrensburg, Missouri, and I've been there again on for five years now, and uh, the congregation is very generous to me. They give me uh, 12 weekends in the year where I can be gone and involved in mission work. And so I go to Africa at least once a year, sometimes twice a year, and the rest of the time I try to use those weekends to go to congregations around the country and kind of report back to them what we're doing. Um, a synopsis of the country of South Africa, if you want to um, and maybe push another one. Uh, Gauteng is the province that we live in. And uh, if I had a pointer here, and I forgot about that, <laughs> but if you look at the country of uh, the world of Africa, it's a huge continent. In fact, you can take the USA 
and it will fit about three and a half times into the continent of Africa. So that gives you an idea of the size of the, the, the whole landmass. South Africa is the southernmost tip of the African continent. And uh, South Africa has a population of about 40 million people. Uh, not a very big country in comparison to our country. But of those 40 million people, uh, 14% of them live in the province of Gauteng. Uh, and that's about 14 million. Uh, I think that's 27%. Some of you are mathematicians. My numbers may be wrong. But a large population group lives in the province of Gauteng which represents 1.4% of the landmass of Africa, of, of South Africa. And Gauteng is a little, uh, little smaller than New Jersey in terms of landmass. So that gives you an idea of where we are. An incredibly densely populated area. The country of South Africa has always been one of the wealthiest countries and most productive countries on the African continent. In the last several decades, as different things, political changes have happened on the African continent, South Africa has become the reciprocal of all of people from different countries, tribes, nationalities that have sought refuge in a country that is relatively stable and potentially would offer employment. Um, at one time, South Africa produced about 80% of the world's gold supplies, and so they known in the language of the Zulus as the city of Igole, which means the city of gold. And uh, so the land mass is very small, and the population continues to swell. That whole situation is compounded in incredible ways. Um, unemployment rate uh, in the area that we're involved in, in Gauteng, is as high as uh, 67 to 70%. And so... You know, we complain when we hit 6% unemployment, it's almost unfathomable to conceive of that high population of unemployment. HIV and AIDS in terms of a social problem in the country, the national statistics for HIV and AIDS says that 31 to 34% of the total population of South Africa is infected with the HIV virus. The area that we work in, in uh, specifically in Soweto, in, in Sebo King, and in Impoleni, in those areas, the AIDS counselors that we work with tell us that there is between 50 and 55% of the population that are affected with AIDS. So there's a huge social problem. The infrastructure of the country is totally way behind where it needs to be in order to accommodate the population masses. And so that's an, a, a huge problem that the country presents to us as missionaries. Under those circumstances, people are very receptive to hearing the message of hope. And sometimes we forget that the gospel really is a message of hope. We live in an incredibly affluent community and country, and we are not hopeless by any means. But these people are, and God really gives us hope. And so it's in that environment that we work in. One of the things that I think has been an earmark of who we are as a mission group in, uh, in South Africa is that all of the work we do is indigenous-driven. Uh, the only foreigners involved in the mission program is really myself on a permanent basis and maybe my brother because his skin is a different color to everybody else that's involved in our work. And so it's very strongly indigenous driven. 
As a result of that, the conversions that God has blessed us with to be able to experience have all happened on one-on-one Bible studies. Um, Our whole emphasis in the mission work is to equip those who are a part of what we are to equip the others. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 10 and 11 uh, is very, very central to who we are, where it speaks about the fact that some are given to be as apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to equip equip the saints for the work of service so that they can do the things that God requires us to do. And we're to continue to do that until everybody is secure and not tossed about by the ways of doctrine. And oh, how we need to hear that here in our great country, where there is so much pressure for us to listen to the fancy talk of so many different people when it comes to religion. And so that's the environment that we work in. Um, I have a video that we made in conjunction with one of uh, the uh, partners that we have in our ministry. We partnered with an organization called Good News Productions International, and they equipped a team of people to be involved in uh, producing audiovisual material for us, and uh, they uh, cut a DVD, a short clip. I think uh, Nathan cut it down to about six minutes that I'd want to share with you right now. But just as uh, information, uh, they recently uh, produced and we started the distribution of a DVD uh, of a seminar that I held there in March this year on inductive Bible study and uh, uh, development of spirituality or maturity in spiritual leadership. And we have distributed about 250 of those DVDs already. So We're really excited about this uh, uh, partner that we have with these people, but I want to let Patrick speak to you for a few minutes. I want to share something with you which changed my life, and I'm sure it will change your life. It changed the lives of many hundreds of children in an area called Sebo King. Sebo King is a town which is about 90 kilometers south of Johannesburg. It's an area which is growing. 20 years ago, when I started working there with a brother called Gift Rebecca, we just started working with a small church group. After 10 years, they grew and we were training leaders. People came into the area from all over as urbanization took place. There were probably around four to five hundred new families in our area. So in 2009, we started Sunrise Christian Preschool in a little area called Residentia of Sebo King. We had nine, ten children that year, and it grew up to over a hundred children, preschool children, within three or four years. Today we've got about 35 to 40 children coming, and it's an exciting work. I want to tell you about that work. started initially mainly because of the grandmothers who came to us and they said please can we start one in, in our area with the shacks because the people in shacks weren't being catered for there were schools close by but they were just overflowing with children and I remember reading something uh, a while back by a researcher called George Bonner and he said the biggest thing in the world today is to educate young children children are our future education is theirs. And Donna said by the time a child is eight years old, they have formed 
school is one that's constant. We just want to serve the people in the area. And we'll have a steady flow of young children coming into the area for 20 years to come. So in the next five years, we want to maintain a level of 20 to 30 preschool children coming in. And that's toddlers and grade R double R's. At the same time, we're looking at sparking with a, another company to build a brand new preschool in the RDP area close by of Sipong, where we'll be able to cater for up to 200 preschool children there. We teach them a biblically-based curriculum. It's called Accelerated Christian Education. It's been around for over 50 years. It's used throughout the world. It's a tried, tested, and proved methodology of teaching. The, the early development uh, children curriculum is called SHAPE, and that is really for preschoolers, where they teach them shapes, numbers, basically what other children get taught in any other preschool. But they teach them Bible, because we want to get the values through to them, and the Bible gives the children the right values. So everything they do is surrounded by biblical concepts and principles, the stories, everything. And then the next level with the grade ones, it's called Leap. So they're leaping ahead. And again, it's based on the Bible. We've found out from the schools around us when our children leave, that they've tested the children when they go to grade one and two. And our children are in the top 10%, which is very, very positive. So it's a proven, tested, and worthwhile curriculum. Some chicken, beans, some potatoes, 
short because uh, that was produced uh, not only for an international audience, but more specifically for a local audience because we, we try our hardest to get local congregations and businesses involved. And then we made an appeal towards the end of that for educational toys, for food, clo- clothing, things that are difficult, almost impossible right now for us to collect and send over there. And so uh, we cut that a little bit off. But I want to direct your attention for the moment to Joshua chapter 3, the passage of Scripture that was read for us as a, an introduction to what I want to talk about this morning. And if you notice in the book of Joshua in the beginning there, uh, in chapter 2, if you're familiar with that passage of Scripture, the Israelites had just had a victory um, over what was the city where the walls fell down. They just had a victory over Jericho. Thank you. I have those senior moments every now and again that are embarrassing. <laughs> but they just had this victory over Jericho, and uh, they were preparing themselves to enter into the promised land. And so um, God's revealed to Joshua how they were going to do that. <clears throat> now, our country from time to time has been involved in international conflict and, and war and stuff like that. And to me, it's interesting because I live in, in the town of Warrensburg, the, the home of the B-2 bombers, uh, and they take off from there and they land there. And uh, so we're kind of familiar with some of the stuff. And uh, our, our military might really is the elite in the world. I'm totally convinced of that. And so when we're going to go and launch some attack on some country, um, we, we don't go to the local uh, priesthood and say, we want you to select 12 people from your congregation who are going to be the forward deployment while we attack this country, do we? Uh, we, we take the most uh, well-trained and the best equipped personnel that we can and we send them out to do a reconnaissance, and then we have all of this digital uh, stuff that we use that we're able to see ants run from one hole to the next, and then we launch our attack. Well, God had something different for the nation of Israel, and he spoke to Moses, and he said, send out 12 people, or or 6 people, carrying the ark. And if you notice in verse 4, the verse just preceding, Uh, the passage of scripture we read, they were to walk 2,000 cubits ahead of the rest of the nation. I want you to imagine this. You know, they've just had this victory at Jericho, and they have been wandering around in the wilderness for some 40 years because they were terrified of the enemies that they had overcome. And now God says to them, take your priests and put the ark of the covenant on their shoulders and they're going to be ahead of you a little over half a mile from where you are, just barely able to see them. And then you follow behind them. So God is taking the best of the best, and he's putting it out in front, and he wants his people to know that I am going to lead you into these victories. And then they give specific instructions to those that are carrying the ark, Uh, those that are of the priest of Levi, so that's the priests. So that would include the likes of me and maybe Nathan and Jay. And uh, imagine if they came to us and said, we want you to carry the ark, and when you get to the river Jordan, walk into it. And as soon as you step into it, the water's going to stop. And I, and I appreciate the, interp- the, the passage of Scripture here because it says, the water will stand up in a heap 
upstream. Can you imagine that? Here's a flowing river, and the River Jordan at this particular place is a pretty large river. Now, I don't know about you, Nathan, but I didn't want to, wouldn't want to be the first guy in the front. I don't want to be the guy that the back. I want to see the water stop before I go in. <laughs> Who wants to be in the front? <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's nice that, yeah, I'll do it. But then when it comes to the reality, I'm sure we all have some hesitancy. But God says to these priests, you walk in there and the water will stop and the whole nation will cross over on dry land. Amazing things. We look in the Old Testament, we read these stories, and and some people think, oh, that's just a story in the Old Testament. It's not really true. If you want to advance that slide, I think we're beyond that. But, you know, um, God said, you know, sanctify yourself. Put yourself in the right frame of mind, and God is going to show you where to go. And we walk behind that which is God's. We walk in faith, I believe is the correct term. We step out in faith, trusting that God is going to do that which he calls us to do. And that's what we read of in the Old Testament, and we understand that. And sometimes we relegate that to the Old Testament. We say, oh, but that was the God of the Old Testament. God doesn't do that today, does he? I think he does. I believe that the God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. I believe that the God of the Old Testament requires of us the same faith, the same convictions, the same trust that he required of the nation of Israel. And God's saying to his people, if you trust me, if you have faith in me, then step out in faith and I will show you how it's done. And I I think as a People in our country, we have lost that vision because we're more reliant upon our skills and upon our finances and upon our abilities and upon the things that we know that we have that are tangible. And we're not so ready to step out in faith. And so we find ourselves in Africa and we go back to the map that I put up there with you. And one man had a vision. And he had a vision that God could do the same incredible things today that the God of the Old Testament did. And amazing things begin to happen. And I've been privileged to be a part of this work, and and I'm ashamed to admit that I have been an unbeliever in believing that God could do some of the things that has happened. And sometimes when I come back into our United States of America environment and within the churches, I'm almost embarrassed to tell people about the phenomenal things that happen over there because we as churches of Christ, we don't talk about stuff like that. The the other religious people do. We don't have phenomenal things happen among us. The other people do. We're, We're skeptical of that. And I beg forgiveness that if I sound negative, that's the only negativity that I have is my sorrow that we have lost a vision of a God who can do amazing things. And so we find ourselves in Africa, and, and we had a man who had a dream. And he dreamt that we could do mission work the way the Bible speaks about it. 
that we can launch out in faith and trust God that he will provide for us, even against unquestionable odds that he would allow us and let us see his power and see how he provides. And so about eight, nine years ago, we started as a result of what you heard Patrick talk about in terms of the preschool and some of the needs felt uh, opportunities that we had. We launched out and we started what we call a leadership or a spiritual maturing process. Because we saw that if we could equip people to equip people to equip people, that would be the model that we'd want to work by. And so 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2 became the mantra of who we are. And the things that you have heard in the presence of faithful people, entrust them to others so that they can teach others also. And so we broke the model of mission work in terms of bringing people over and importing people for a few years to do some things and then keep the old financial turntable going. And we said, we're not going to do that. We're going to equip indigenous people, local people. And so we started with about four, four to six people. I can't remember exactly how many it was. So I was about four to six people, and there were two teachers, Gift Kobeka, the fellow that Patrick mentioned in the video, and himself. And over those years since we started that, we now have seven teachers, aside from Patrick and myself, who are fully equipped. We trust them explicitly. And we have over 200 people registered in our leadership program, of which I think only one of them come from the Churches of Christ. And those 200-some leaders represent well over 6,000 people that we're teaching through this hands-on practical leadership development process. Last year, that we know of, that we could account for by name and photograph, we knew of a little over 600 people that were converted that year. That means they were a little over two every single day that we've been converted to Christ. That's not phenomenal. The phenomenal thing is we have at least an 80% retention rate, and if we went back there today, I could take you to the homes and to the units where these people are, and they can speak for themselves. And so that's pretty amazing. This year... We partnered, as I said, with GNPI, Good News Productions International, and they helped us uh, fund and train uh, an audiovisual team that put together that DVD. And earlier this year, when I was uh, over there in Africa, I taught a course on inductive Bible study and spiritual development or the maturation of spiritual leaders. And they videotaped that and they produced a DVD with that on, and we have distributed, I think, a little over 250 of those uh, DVDs already. And so we intend to build a, a video library that's indigenously oriented to distribute throughout the African continent. And so our vision is a whole lot bigger than who we are. And all of this developed because of one person saying, let me step out in faith and let me swim upstream and do that which is not normal. Let me share with you a little bit of what's happened in our community of faith over there. 
because this congregation is intricately involved in it. We have an HIV and AIDS clinic where, if you want to just let it run, please. Um, We have an HIV and AIDS clinic where um, today, when I was there in March, I spoke to one of the clinic directors and, and I asked her to give me some statistics. And she told me that that particular clinic sees an average of 15 new patients every day. That's 105 every week, about 450 every month, and that makes about 5,500 new patients every year, HIV and AIDS. That's just one clinic. And that gives you an idea of where it's at. One of our lead evangelists who works with us there, his son works for one of the cemeteries that is in the area, and he directs traffic on Saturdays. And every Saturday, and this is just one cemetery of about seven that are in the Soweto Sebo King area, and at that one cemetery, they bury on average 2,200 people every Saturday, one cemetery. And when you walk through the cemetery, um, the graves that are open, they have six big caterpillar tractors that start digging graves on Monday, and they carry on working until Saturday. And they have caterpillars working behind, cleaning up where the graves aren't totally filled in. And that is a weekly occurrence. We have a TB clinic that is involved very much in conjunction with HIV and AIDS. And part of the TB clinic that we have, we've developed a gardening program where we have a young man that comes in and helps us uh, train our people in hydrophonic gardening. And so our area that's small, we have about three quarters of an acre, becomes extremely productive and we help feed a lot of people in the area. And good nutrition is one of the most important parts of combating tuberculosis and certainly helps in AIDS and in the control of the HIV and AIDS virus. We have an adult literacy training program, and currently we have 47 people involved in our adult literacy. English is a universal language. Even though there are 11 official languages in South Africa, if you can speak English, you can communicate with anybody. And somebody once asked me, well, they said, well, Jeff, you know, if if you speak to somebody in English and they don't understand you, you know, what do you do then? And I said, well, you just speak a little louder. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> you know, if somebody doesn't understand you, you just speak louder and they'll get the message, you know. And it's the same over there as well. And so English is really a universal language. We have uh, skills development programs, and we utilize people from all walks of faith. If they have a skill that we can teach our people so that they can become productive in helping generate some income because the unemployment rate is so high, if they can do something by themselves we feel like we're far better off. Our ladies, our women's uh, classes uh, are involved in a lot of skill development stuff, and, and many of them are trained in nutritional things, in sewing, in beadwork. Some of the beadwork that you see out there is a part of their activities, and, and they do all of these things, and we try to empower them by what we call microeconomic development, and some of you may be familiar with that. Um, and so through all of that, All of that work really is overshadowed by the fact that through these ministries, and especially our outreach ministries, all of that is overshadowed by the fact that through all of that, God is elevated, and He is the one who is honored, and He honors us by the conversions that we see. We're astounded at what God does. 
And it's difficult sometimes to stand in front of a group of people and share these statistics because people look at you and say, wow, you know, we experience two or three conversions a year and you're talking about over 600. How's that possible? It is possible. When we step out in faith and we, we understand that our God is bigger than who we are and he wants to accomplish things that are far greater than what we limit him And so we step out in faith doing that. All of this work that we're involved in, including the full support of my brother Patrick, and I don't take anything from the mission fund at all. Uh, I'm supported uh, by my congregation that pays me a great salary, the same as congregations pay people around the world, but I am provided for. And all of the work and all of the money that we get takes care of of Patrick and all of the ministries that we're involved in. This year, or this last year, we had our biggest year of contributions, and we received just a little over $100,000, and that's what ran the whole ministry. Our budget is 140, and if we could increase it by another 40%, we'd be able to do so much more. We don't pay people over there because of the restraints of the government, but we, we give them an honorarium. We subsidize them. And if we had to pay them, then we would have to pay the unemployment. We'd have to pay the medical insurance. We'd have to pay the taxes. And we just don't even come close to having enough money to do that. And so our whole ministry works on the fact that people work for God. They don't get paid. It's volunteer. And we help them when we can. And we can only help them to the degree that people stateside are generous enough to help us so that we can pass it on. One of the things that has been most encouraging for us in the last three or four years, we're getting more and more local support to be able to do the physical things that people stateside cannot do, providing clothes, educational toys, food, buildings, and stuff like that. And so we're not asking people to help us support building projects, but we're asking us people to help us support people who are serving God. And so we've become very judicial on that. Beloved, I want to tell you uh, about some of the things that happen. As we've developed leaders, some of these leaders have come up from nowhere, and now they are teaching in different satellite areas. When we started, we used to bring everybody to Sybil King, which was the campus that we started at. But now we've branched out and we've got five different areas that we do the same leadership training, and we utilize indigenous people who we have trained and equipped. In fact, this photograph behind me is a photograph of most of our leaders, and we have leadership conferences for them. One of the greatest stories that we have is of a young man by the name of Mosemi, and that's Mosemi with me in that photograph. Mosemi came to us, one of four children, His mother had been infected by AIDS. His father had just recently died, and he had AIDS, and he passed it on to his wife before he died. She realized that she was going to die, and so she came to us and said, can you take care of my boys? Mosemi at that time was about 11, 12 years old, and we have taken care of her boys after she died, and we have educated them. Mosemi's oldest brother, he is the eldest, the one after him, had epilepsy, and we found him dead on a little pathway, a little close to the the campus one evening. But Mosemi is now married. He has a little boy of his own who's about a year old, 
and he raises his other two brothers. He is one of our most effective evangelists out. And we gave him a mobile tent, and you saw that tent that was there, and we've discovered that what we can do and what works well for us, if we provide a mobile tent or a mobile church, if you want, to them, and the tent costs us about $1,000, and we give him a portable baptistry that costs about $200, and we give them 20 plastic chairs, and we give them a lectern and a table, and we say, have at it. And we gave one to Masemi, and he, you thought you'd have given him the world. And he has two congregations that he works with right now. And he runs two different youth groups in the area. He has about 350 teenagers that he works with. And he is, uh, he is converting people or seeing people converted at least four or five a week. And it is so exciting to see him. And he was one of the orphans that came up through our program and through our home ministry. And he's one of our family. And this is the work that he does. Well, here's what I want to leave with you this morning. Passage of scripture that I'm sure you're all familiar with. Book of Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Do we believe that? It's not a question that I can answer for you. It's not a question that either Nathan or Jay can answer for you. It's not a question that your elders can answer for you. It's a question that you need to ask and answer for yourself before God. I believe that he can. I've seen it happen. I have witnessed the power of God. I don't believe in a God who's a puny God who expects puny results. I've been criticized by people, and Ray can attest to this, I'm sure. I've been criticized by people by having uh, expectations that are way too high for our brethren. I don't apologize for that. I believe that our God can do phenomenal things. I believe that he can do the exceptional things among you. And from what I've heard from Ray, God is definitely working in the lives of people in this congregation. Maybe that is translated into numbers. And numbers don't always tell the success of a group, do they? But people walking close to God and trusting in God, that's what counts. I believe that God can do that. I believe that he wants to do that among you, among our people, among the people in Africa, and I see it happening, and you all have been a part of that. And I pray that you would continue to allow God to increase your faith and confidence in him. I don't know how you traditionally close your services here this morning, but I want to close it with this challenge. What is it that God is wanting to do in your life that you are prohibiting him from doing because you don't believe it would happen? Are you content with where you're at? Are you satisfied with what God has provided for you? And I'm not talking about material things. Do you believe that this is it? Or is there more? So I challenge you to put your trust in God. See, one of the things that I've discovered recently and you can put this into your think tank or your hmm box or your chew on it or however you want to call it. And think about this, you know, does God just expect you to be obedient to him? Or does he really call you to be submissive to him? And there is a very significant difference between the two. Our Pharisees were obedient. I believe Christians are submissive. 
So the challenge is yours. What are you going to do with God? Or what are you going to allow God to do with you? I know what he can do. And I share with you what he has done. And I've probably downplayed some of the stuff more than accentuating it. But our God is a powerful God. He's not a puny God. Not the God that I worship. And I trust not the God that you worship. So if you have a need to respond this morning to a challenge, if you have a need for this congregation to pray with you, to pray for you, if you have a need to put your life fully into the hands of God where you totally trust him and follow what he calls you to do, maybe you have an opportunity to do that publicly right now. And if you don't want to do it publicly, I know that these elders would love to spend some time praying with you and talking with you about it. So if you have a need to respond in a public way, won't you come as together we stand and as we sing?